Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Humans are wired for emotional connections to other humans. One of the core elements to that is sex and our sexual relations. But it's also communication. The two go hand in hand, right? Then you add religion into the mix and you have a web of dysfunction. During this podcast, we have a fascinating discussion with the very religious and married couple, Phyllis Hill, an entrepreneur and businesswoman, and Dr. Glenn Hill, who's a sexologist and therapist. They turned their own painful 40-year journey into a book, The Connection Codes. Spoiler alert, this goes way deeper than religion and sex. It's a fascinating account of human behavior, relationships, and actually solutions to finding your own happiness as a couple. So welcome to the show, Phyllis and Glenn Hill. Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. you. It's so exciting to be here for sure. (laughs) And it's very exciting to have you and see you both so lovingly sitting next to each other and writing this incredible book, The Connection Codes, which, as you can see, is all beaten up because I took it away with me and my family to Mexico on spring break and I devoured it. So thank you for sending it to me. And I could not be more excited to talk it through. I've been recommending it to all of my friends. Just so you know, the book, guys, all of you that are listening, The Connection Codes is a Bible of our communication. And they give a framework to how we should be communicating. And when we do communicate, how that makes you feel or not feel. So Phyllis and Glenn, I want to start with asking you about your own personal story of finding each other, then finding each other sexually, and then figuring it out of how to have this long-term commitment towards one another. So we're going to start with your personal story, which you have already told me. Let's start with you, Phyllis. Tell us what happened when you were dating Glenn and then you got married. Let's shoot to that day of what happened and how it made you feel. Well, we met young. I was 15. He was 16. We met at a summer camp and I had grown up in Germany. So I came to the States as a teenager and, you know, it was very different. Boys were different. Relationships were different. And, but yet when I met Glenn, it was kind of like, okay, he has everything that I'm looking for. And we were very faith-based you know, heritage. And so I was looking for someone who really showed me that, you know, showed me an interest in God and the Bible and all those things. And that was Glenn. And very charismatic as far as personality and just very bubbly. I was very quiet. And so I was very drawn to him. And we dated long distance mostly until towards the end. And then we were in the same city But it was like we went down this road of wanting to do everything correctly. Mm -hmm. Like you've got that list that you think, okay, before you marry, 
you know, you should have really good jobs. And uh, we actually even bought a house, closed on it like two weeks before the wedding and had that magical wedding where Glenn wrote the songs, even sang to me as I walked down the aisle and just dreamy and all the things. And, you know, again, a lot of support from a community that surrounded us, all the things we thought, okay, we're set up. This is going to go really, really well. Matter of fact, never dreamed of anything but that. Didn't even consider that it could be anything but that. And then our honeymoon, which one of the things that we were committed to was that we were not going to have intercourse before we were married. So, you know, we made out, we did a lot. A lot of dry humping, I understand. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh And, you know, we're very drawn to each other. Yeah. And so we were just like, I just thought, okay, the actual act, the intercourse Mm -hmm. part is just going to be this mystical, magical, mind-blowing thing, especially because we waited. Mm -hmm. And so we were each other's first. And yet for me, our honeymoon, our wedding night Mm -hmm. was anything but fun and good and exciting. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of Mm shell-shocked in that moment. Yeah. So what I understand is you were brought up by both of you, by very religious parents. You had not had any education on what sex was, how it works. I seem to remember, Glenn, you feeling a bit prepared than Phyllis for that night. And I remember you actually saying that you also, Glenn, felt that you were now sleeping with a different person because Phyllis had been so audacious and excited about, you know, dry humping and all of that leading up, which went on for about four years, right, where you had your relationship, but then felt like it was a shock for you too, Glenn, that this did not go well. And, you know, I just want to say that I even had this conversation last night that media also puts a spin on how this magical moment will happen. And you see a couple come together and have this like mind-blowing time. And it just isn't the case, especially for women. That is not the fairy tale. It doesn't hardly ever go down like that, especially the first time. So Phyllis, you felt traumatized by what had happened. Tell us more about that. Well, it was very confusing for sure. Because, and, and I do appreciate you even mentioning like movies where you are led to believe yeah. that it's just sheer magic. And, you know, there was no conversation before we were married with anyone that could have helped us. You know, uh, no one ever said, hey, be prepared for this. So mm-hmm. for me, and I, you know, I don't even know what I thought the image was per se, but there was no pleasure in it. And it was like we kind of skipped over the making out, you know, even the dry humping, the getting super turned on. It was almost like, oh, well, we don't need that. We are now married. We can just skip to the good stuff. Right. Well, for me, yeah. And for me, it wasn't, that was not good stuff. And so I was so shocked and, but then also didn't know how to express even the shock or the pain. Didn't say a word to Glenn, didn't say whoa, that was horrible. I just got super quiet. And then 
really kind of the next day thought, I don't want to ever do that again. Mm -hmm. I don't want that experience again. I don't want you to touch me. And like, I could not even figure out how to get myself turned on again. Like Mm -hmm. it was as though I spent the rest of the honeymoon just avoiding him and figuring out ways to do, you know, activities. Like we, we went water skiing a lot because I thought, okay, if I'm on a boat with other people, he's not going to be touching me. Phyllis, did you have a creepy feeling in a way? Like a predator feeling? Probably so. Like, yeah, very much like I didn't want him to touch me. And so, yeah, it was kind of that just avoidance Mm -hmm. and whatever that looked like. But I think Looking back, the biggest thing is that I never verbalized what I was experiencing. Yeah, that is always the problem because you feel shame, you feel guilt, you feel stupid. Glenn, can I ask you, did you know about the positioning of the clitoris at that point? You had no idea, right? Well, I grew up on a farm, and so I thought somehow that I knew about sex because I'd seen plenty of animals mating Mm -hmm. before. And of course, Mm -hmm. animals mating is just about getting tab A into slot B. That's all you're trying to do. And I, just for the record, I never officially told Phyllis that I knew everything, (laughs) but I didn't tell her that I didn't. And so we go into our wedding night and we grew up in a very conservative, fundamentalist, religious background, Christian religious background. And so the man is supposed to be, you know, whatever, in charge, supposed to be the, Mm. you know, he's supposed to know he's the, he's the leader. So, and again, I never actually said that, but I never told Phyllis that I was just as clueless, perhaps even more so. Than mm. she was because again my thought is oh it's all about getting tab a in the slot view well, i can do that and we did and it was the greatest 11 seconds of my life at that point um yeah. but it was not so great for phyllis <laughs> well, at least it was only 11 seconds <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> <true>. <laughs> i'm thankful for the little things and that, so i was just startled that this was not uh this you know a spectacular experience mm. for her and i did not know i'd married such an ungrateful person. And then the next day, and we, we went to this honeymoon resort where it's kind of a, a little bit of a camp atmosphere. And so there's people everywhere. And so we water skied almost the rest mm-hmm. of our honeymoon because Phyllis knew that if we're on a boat, ain't none of that sex stuff uh, happening. And so we literally would have breakfast and I'd be like, Hey babe, you want to, you know, go back to the room? And she's like, no, yeah, no, no, no. I'm headed. 11 seconds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and she's headed to the boat. And we'd come in for lunch and then we go back to the boat. And of course, then at the end of the day, she's like, oh, I'm exhausted. You know, we've been skiing all day. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Mm. <laughs> Whose idea was that? So we just didn't have any tools to know how to process through what was happening. Now, how long did it, because I, I do know what, that you went on to have a number of children, four children, I believe. Now, that's a lot of children, right? So obviously you did have sex again. How long did it take you Phyllis, to feel comfortable? And did you just endure it over and over again until, like, what's the story there? You know, I would say even on our honeymoon, we had intercourse more times because I knew that is kind of what you're supposed to do. But for me, it was so like, I just hated it, but yet felt it was my duty to do it. And then even getting home, you know, we didn't talk to anybody. And then it was just like, okay, get it over with. Like, it, you know, and I, I remember just feeling like, don't turn the lights on. You know, I wasn't comfortable with my own body. The nudity was like, oh no, you know, there's nothing at that point that I wanted. So it was just get it over with. And, you know, I actually got pregnant just four months into our wedding, which was not our plan. You know, I think we had that five-year plan And so then even dealing with just pregnancy and I was so sick and, Mm. you know, which in some ways gave me a little bit of a reprieve that I was just so sick. 
but still just suffering in silence. And of yeah. course, it caused a lot of conflict. It was like that was our fighting was over right. sex. And Glenn was confused and didn't understand, mm. felt like, and I wasn't communicating other than no. I just didn't want to ever do it. And yet I knew I needed to do it. So mm. then it was that battle back and forth that just happened for mm. such a long time. And Glenn, at this point, you were obviously very frustrated. And this came out in anger and probably also just general frustration. Let's fast forward to when you found Phyllis's clitoris. But like, how long did it take? And where did you get that information from? Uh, it was actually from some friends. Um, and again, understand we grew up so fundamentalist. Yeah. Uh, like we didn't drink alcohol. We didn't do, I mean, there's a massive list of things we didn't do. And we actually had a glass of wine that night uh, after dinner with this couple. And I don't know if that was an ingredient or not, if that you know helped us to relax. Um, but we just started talking about how we were doing, which again, in our culture, we never talked about how you were authentically no. doing. Yeah. Well, this particular couple were probably our best friends at that yeah. point in our life. And now our first child was already born, but she was still a baby. And they had children that were a little bit older than ours. So we were hanging out at their house and it was kind of one of those, it's like, how are y'all doing? And we finally, and shared with someone that we were not doing well. And we, for the first time, opened that door to just acknowledge because at this point we had already just concluded that I was broken, mm. that the reason I wasn't having any pleasure was because I was broken, not because we didn't know what we were doing. It was just a conclusion of, well, you're broken. And so then when we just mentioned that, that, you know, sex is probably our number one conflict mm. and they were just curious, like, what are you all fighting about? And mm. it was like, well, there's no pleasure in it for me because I'm broken. So I just made this blanket statement and my friend was in the medical field. So she very much took on that role in that moment, being like, okay, let's talk about this. What do you mean you're broken? How did you conclude that? And at that point, I think Glenn had read a few books enough to right. say, well, she doesn't have a clitoris. Well, and the other woman brought up a clitoris. And I knew the word, but mm. I didn't really know. But, and again, I feel so much shame in, in even saying that now, but I didn't want to admit that I didn't have a clue. You know, mm. I mean, that's just so, such a demoralizing thing to go, you know, I'm clueless. I'm just dumb as a brick here. Could you educate me? And so as the conversation's flowing, she said, oh, well, it's all about the clitoris. And I'm like, yeah, 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 of course uh, it, it yeah. is. And then our friend just said, well, so how has that gone? I'm like, well, come to find out Phyllis doesn't have a clitoris. And she said, wait, what? So we started having that kind of back and forth. And she was very, very kind, very, very gentle, respectful. She's like, I don't think that's true. And I'm like, no, no, it is. At this time in the world, was the internet already no, with no, us? No, no, no. We're very so old, Kate. Had you, when, had you looked at magazines? Yes. Like I, well, I looked at books, and um, the books are so vague because the diagrams I'd seen, it would say clitoris, and then it has the line. Well, then the line is just somewhere in the genital area. So, I mean, I know it's down there. I just don't know where. And, and yeah. so it wasn't specific enough for me to, and again, I, going back, I would have asked questions. I would ask. 20 people to get some information. Yeah. Phyllis, can I ask you, had you ever masturbated or touched yourself? Oh, no, not at all. That was, that was insane, How right? could you oh, even yeah. suggest right. that? I mean, yeah. I grew up. That was such taboo. Yeah. Absolutely mm. not. Yeah. And what about you, Glenn? Had you? 
Yes, but you don't ever say it. You, right. And I mean, I literally, I remember being in Bible studies where everyone would say, nope, 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 never have, never have, never have. And, you know, there's 15 guys in this Bible study and none of them had ever masturbated. Everybody thinks the other 14 are righteous and holy and that I'm the one that's struggling. So I can't possibly admit that I'm the total loser. So then came the day that you wanted to put into action your new information. So you found the clitoris. Which changed everything, like instantly. Matter of fact, just knowing I wasn't broken Mm. was just that little sentence, you are not broken, Mm. for me gave so much hope. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm determined to figure this out. I'm determined to learn my own body. I'm determined to talk to more women that are older where I can just go, hey, I am really struggling in this. And it was just like all of a sudden, the little bit of information and even understanding the female body, understanding just because I think there was also this belief that, oh, through just thrusting, Hmm. that penis is going to somehow magically touch that clitoris and rub it enough that you're going to have an orgasm. Well, that was not not the case. No. And that was definitely not my story. And so just learning where the clitoris was, learning that you got to really work on that. I mean, you know, it's not a quick like one, two, three, 11 seconds and there you go. Yeah. And then I I do remember even in those early days, like someone suggesting a vibrator and, you know, it was like, oh, it just opened up this Mm. whole new world that said there is more to all of this and Mm. you have really missed it. Mm. And then once I had an orgasm, I was like, oh, (laughs) wow, okay. This is worth something. This is fun, Mm. and I am interested in this, and Mm. I want to know more about this. And then I just wanted to go down that road Mm. with Glenn. And, of course, you know, we'd already wounded each other a Mm. lot. Yeah. So there was definitely that side of it. And, Mm. you know, you don't always have that redo like oh let's just be able to erase all of that and start over it's like you still got to deal with the trauma Mm. of the first few years of our marriage so let me ask what was the time frame of you getting married to you then having the first orgasm how many years had you been enduring that was about two years when we had that dinner with our friends well that's quite impressive because you know i'm listening to your story again and This is not just religious couples, right? This is so many people. You know, there is an orgasm gap. It's a thing. And, you know, I think only, it's even less, but about 30% of women can actually achieve orgasm through penetration. And religion is, I think, a huge barrier, but it's not the reason, right? It's as you say, Phyllis, it's understanding your body, having your partner understand your body and not being afraid of, tools, both communication tools, but also the vibrator. I mean, can you imagine, Phyllis, if you'd have been using a vibrator during sex, it wouldn't have mattered that Glenn didn't necessarily know where your erogenous zones were. So let's fast forward because now, Glenn, you are a trained sexologist, right? So the floodgates opened for you and you were like, okay, we got to help everyone now. It's like when you have a baby, you want everyone to have a baby, right? Because you've now found this incredible feeling and connection to your partner. And by the way, I just want to say, and we're going to talk about some of the tools that you write about in the book, but I'm sitting here watching the two of you. And 
I can see still the pain that's on Glenn's face when he is listening to you, Phyllis, and the love that you two, I just got goosebumps, that the love that you two have for one another. And I think the world has a lot to learn from the two of you because it takes a strong man like Glenn to go, yeah, actually, I'm not perfect. I'm not doing it right. I love you. I want to make this right. I want to make this pleasurable. I want to feel the connection and then go off and become a sexologist, right? So tell us that journey, Glenn, why you decided to do that and how that's impacted your life. Well, a whole, I don't claim to understand how spirit works and how things get, you know, molded and and how our lives are, are led. But a whole bunch of ingredients led to that. In the 2000s, Phyllis said to me, babe, as hard as you work, we should be rich. And we're not rich, so we got to do something different. And she made me quit working, which I don't know a lot of men that can say, my wife made me quit working. And I always say every benchmark in our relationship was because of Phyllis. I'm the educated one. She's the smart one, and she actually figures things out. And it's just stunning to me. She said, you have to quit working. You have to go back to school and just just learn, just research, figure stuff out. And we were, our marriage had had upgraded considerably by then, but we still weren't really deeply connected. And again, we didn't know what we didn't know. So we didn't know what a hundred percent was. And so we're living at 27% thinking, well, we're doing better than the people that are at 10% or whatever. So I just started school. I wanted to become a marriage and family therapist, which I'd been dabbling in school over the years. So I get my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. She said, keep going, get a doctorate. And so we talked about it. Well, what do I want a doctorate in? And I thought, well, sexology, because sex has been so significant Mm. for us and for other couples. And we'd start seeing that more and more, that sex was an issue for 99.100% of couples. Well, if it affects basically every couple, this would be worth pursuing. And even as a marriage and family therapist, I did one course in uh, sexuality, and I did a poll, uh, just a, a phone poll in several different cities, and I don't remember the numbers on it. It's very low. It's something like 30% of uh, married therapists will touch sexuality at all. They don't even mm. won't even talk to a married couple, a partnered pair about sex. I'm like, what What the heck? You don't talk about sex? That's not possible. So mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing that I believe that has to be blended. It doesn't make sense. Yep. Any more so than if they don't, well, I don't talk about communication with, you know, partnered pairs. Like, well, what the heck do you talk about? You know, because it's going to be an ingredient. Can I just say how excruciating it is for people without any help to have those conversations? I mean, you're living proof of this. Like, I even work in the business, right? (laughs) And it's hard for me to say, you know, I just don't think you're doing it right. And this is what gives me, it's hard. This is hard, whether you're religious or not religious. It's hard to do that. So the fact that you became a master also in your profession from your experience is really quite incredible. Well, and on the other side of it, for people to ask, and I don't know if it's more difficult for guys or girls, but for a guy to be able to say, yeah, I'm clueless. I have mm. no idea. Because, you know, our culture says yeah, that's, that's a real man. You know, a real man. He knows what to do. Yeah. He goes to a bar. He picks some girl up. 20 minutes later, they're banging down the bathroom stall. You know, he's got her up against <laughs> the wall. And she's panting. She's gasping. And he has seen well, that's this. that's the edu- movie, right? Right. That's but he's seen that education moment. thousands and yeah. thousands of times. That's all he knows. And so he is certain that that's what's supposed to happen. And then, just like with our story, when she doesn't do that and she's not grateful and she's not thrilled, 
I'm thinking, well, I just picked a bad person to mm, yeah. partner with. There's something wrong with her. She's broken. It's not my fault because I'm doing the thing. I'm sticking to having well, the slot me. I think what a lot of women hear as well is, well, you must have a problem because all the other women I've been with are having explosive orgasms. I mean, how ridiculous and ignorant is that? Because guess what, honey? They're probably faking it right? Because they don't have the communication skills to tell you. And God bless them. If they're not faking it, fantastic. That's a very small percent of women, right? Who, when you're wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, up against the bathroom wall, you're not going to have an explosive orgasm. Very rare. Yeah. So then as I'm going through my PhD program, then I just start doing research to figure out what happens that goes where people go just like us from, you know, I always say, 24 hours before our wedding, we were excited about happily ever after. 48 hours after our wedding, we were wrecked and stayed that way for a mm. long time. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. How can that be? Because, And then, of course, we've learned that we're not the only ones. Because for years and years, especially in our religious circles, we're so inauthentic. You know, there's 10 couples sitting around a table, and each one thinks the other nine are doing great. Mm. Uh, and in reality, we're all struggling. But it's just total inauthenticity. So... I was like, we have to figure this out. This doesn't make yeah. sense how it can go from this. You know, you just built a new house and the roof's leaking and nothing works. You know, there's no electricity. You're like, what the heck? We just built this new house. How can it be so crappy? Mm. Uh, and to figure out how it could get that bad that quickly. And so that's when we started. And again, I, I'm just starting with a blank sheet of paper. Uh, so much of the stuff we I went through in my master's program was, I don't want to say it was useless, but a lot of it was. It just wasn't effective. And the, the data was pretty clear that marriage therapy is very ineffective. So I'm like, well, wait, we're doing all this stuff and it's not even helping. Marriage therapists have a much, much higher divorce rate than the population does. So I'm like, well, wait, that, those are the mechanics working on our cars and they can't even get their own car to run. So that doesn't make sense. So I just started doing research to figure out what happens. Where do people miss each other? How do they go from super excited about happily ever after on their wedding day to some level of pain and blah and disconnect very quickly. Mm. So I want to talk about the core emotion wheel. This was the most powerful part of the book for me, because of course, when you read your book, you're thinking about the dysfunctional relationships in your life, whether it be with your sexual partner or your husband or your wife or whoever it may be, right? You're reading it and then you are translating it back to your own personal experiences. And I love a diagram, right? Because I'm not that way inclined, but I love a diagram that is clear. At the center of this diagram, we've got our connection codes, right? How we connect with others. And then we've got the emotions, anger, shame, guilt, fear, lonely, sad, hurt, joy. And when we as humans communicate with each other, those are the feelings that we get. And those feelings can ruin our communication. And I think egos come in, we're like, we're just human, right? We're going to react. If somebody says, okay, well, that doesn't feel good to me, or this is how you've made me feel, the immediate reaction is to be defensive and try to back yourself up. And all throughout reading your book, you talk about ooing. Mm -hmm. And it kind of annoyed me a little bit, I'll be honest. But I want you to explain 
what the ooing was all about. And I did try it last night. I did an ooh, and it didn't come across as very authentic. But tell us about the ooing and tell us about this wheel. You know, there definitely is a bridge between our sexual trauma in our life and now the emotional work that we do. And what was interesting is when we got all the sex part figured out and really had a dynamic sexual relationship and were teaching everywhere we could about sex, we were so much determined to be that open book and we will talk to anyone. We will stand in front of us on a stage. We will talk to anyone about sex. We realized, okay, you get that part on, but how do you process the trauma Mm. in all of it from the past? To be clear, you're not just talking about sex, right? You're talking about just trauma, childhood trauma in general, because let's be honest, a lot of this comes from childhood trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we were also disconnecting in our marriage over other ways that we were experiencing life. It wasn't just sex. That's where it started. That was the most painful beginning of our, you know, marriage. But then it took Glenn, especially when he was able to just focus on school and do tons and tons of research, he began to realize there was an emotional component that was underlying. It's like you got to be emotionally connected to be able to be sexually connected. And that conclusion led to deep diving for Glenn into the study of emotion. And I kind of had the philosophy that Glenn has enough emotion for both of us. I don't do emotion. Mm. And I had repeated that sentence over and over and over for decades of our marriage. And then around 50, when I turned around, well, I was almost 50, that my world came crashing down because my body stopped functioning. And I'd been super healthy at that point up to that. Was it menopause related? No, uh, my mom was dying. We were super close. And the business that I had built had exploded in the first quarter in a great way. But I was working seven days a week, putting in all this overtime to keep my company afloat. And I was still under the, I don't do emotion. So I'm not processing the sadness about my mom dying. I wasn't processing the stress of my job, the company I, I had built. And so my body, I think, finally said, I give up. I'm tired of storing all your emotions for your whole life. I'm done. And then I had to tune in. And Glenn, of course, was doing all this research. And so he began to help me identify emotion. And at first I resisted, but then I was pretty desperate because I had stopped sleeping. You can't do that for very many days before other things start to break down in your body. So I was all of a sudden listening, like, I'm hearing you. Please teach me everything that I need to know to get myself back on track. And that's kind of the wheel. You know, usually when we teach this, there are people who can relate to Glenn, and then there's people who can relate to me that I don't do emotion. For me to learn how to tune in to what was firing in my brain, I needed simple tools. I needed to understand how do I listen to my emotions? I, I've never done that. As a child on, I was taught emotions are bad. So I was very task-oriented and I got all of my accomplishments down that road and I was not in tune with emotion. And so these tools that now we have in our book and in our master class is all about these simple tools where every person, no matter what, even different languages, 
to learn, oh, we all have a region in our brain that fires emotion. You can't opt out. You can't say, oh, no, no, I don't do emotion. You don't have that option. It's firing in your brain and your body is storing it or you're letting it out of your body, which is the healthiest way to live. So reading the book, I felt that there was a, a part that was missing, both in the wheel and in the book. And it's obviously not impacted you as a couple. So you haven't read about it or you haven't included it in the wheel, but maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like there is another section that we should talk about, and that is trust. And for the couples who have experienced lying or infidelity, which happens so much, right? And then you try to cover your tracks or, you know, you're not communicating. It's a communication breakdown, right? I think that is both a massive intimacy barrier. If you have been cheated on or, you know, your partner has lied, whether it's covering up their emotions or whatever it may be, I feel like that's missing because it just happens to so many people, including myself. And then it's hard to trust moving forward and therefore hard to be intimate with that person and really let yourself go. Because ultimately it's about showing up as your true self and surrendering to those feelings. So that that was my only part that I was wanting to learn more about personally. Well, I'm backing up just a little bit to get the overview. Again, we just started out with a blank sheet of paper to try to figure this out and eventually began researching and researching and just studying brain scans that there are five neural regions associated with emotion. That's just true of humans. So it's not a theory that I came up with. It's just we now actually can identify that. It's pretty close to emphatic. With Every human's unique, so it's difficult to make too broad of a stroke. But we know that every human breathes oxygen. So nobody breathes ice cream or something. You know, every human breathes oxygen. So there's certain things that we know. With the five regions, and the five regions are anger, disgust, pleasure, pain, and fear. And again, that's just true. That's the human condition. And we divide up the pain, the emotional pain, uh, into hurt, sad, and lonely. But they all three fire in the pain region of the brain. They look very different on a brain scan. That's the reason that we separate them. And then disgust, we divide into shame and guilt because of bot- and they look the same on the brain scan, but the bodily behavior, facial expression, body language is different between those two when people are uh, talking about them. So the eight core emotions are now, they're just scientific. We know this now. We're not pondering, thinking, well, mm-hmm. we don't know. So that. trust, lack of trust is a, a fear experience that I don't mm-hmm. trust you. I feel fear that you're not going to be there for me. I feel fear that you're not going to be safe for me. So. Yeah. Safety. Right. Exactly. So, and of course, we sit with tons of couples where there has been broken trust for whatever Mm, uh, reason. And and we can't force trust. You know, for me to say, you know, well, Susie, you just need to trust him from now on. Well, trust is a belief and beliefs you don't control. I always tell people, if you don't think that's true, for the next 30 minutes, believe that I'm a giraffe. Just believe it. Just make yourself believe that I'm a giraffe. And you can't do it. Now, I could put thumb screws on you and you, I might tighten them down enough. And finally, you're like, okay, okay, Dr. Glenn, I think you're a giraffe, but you don't really believe that. You just got tired of the pain. So trust just grows organically. And for Phyllis to trust me, mm-hmm. I can't force that. Now, I can be the reliable, safe person, uh, but she's not even going to feel safety with me the first time or the second time or the third time. Uh, I always say it takes X number of times and we don't know what X is. So hurry up and get to X because it might be 29. 
So I need to be safe for her 29 times mm-hmm. before she feels safety, before she trusts uh, me. And that also doesn't mean it's a permanent thing. She might not trust me on the 30th time. And, but, but now our trust is so deep and steadfast. Uh, but, but that took a long time uh, to develop. Yeah, it takes a long time. Yeah. But I so. do also know that when I go out of town, Glenn experiences fear of abandonment, fear that I'm not going to come back. And he has to process that with me every Mm. time. And, you know, early on in our married life, he didn't know how to express his emotions. And so I would go home to visit my parents. And it was like the first, well, 24 hours before I would leave, Mm. he would be so out of sorts. And the way I experienced it is Mm. that he would be mean to me. And then when I'd get home, kind of the same thing. And it, I, I just always said, well, that's the cost of me being able to go home is he's just going to be out of sorts. Well, then when all of this was developed and we, you know, all this research was done, he realized, wow, I'm experiencing the fear that she's not going to come back, that she's going to kind of get there and realize what, you know, he felt so much kind of shame about who he is and was, and he would feel the fear that she will get around her family and they're going to talk sense into her and she's going to leave me. She's not going to come back because she's going to realize that I'm just this horrible human. So the fear was so real for him. And now we've been married 40 years. And when I go out of town, I would say it's not at the extreme that it was, but he still experiences that fear. It's like, but he's able to just tell me. And I know he's not mean to me or we just process, we use the wheel and he'll, he'll even say. Doesn't it feel good though to be able to just express yourself and your fear? Like it's such a relief, right? It's like it's out there now, right? She knows. And this is what people are struggling with. They can't express their emotions. It's very, very hard for people. Well, and you brought um, up the ooh, it's audible listening, which we're, we're, we're not good at as mm. humans. I mean, yep. we jump. We want to defend. We want to fix. Just like in that scenario, if Glenn says to me, I'm feeling a lot of fear that you're not going to come back, my immediate response could be, what? That's so stupid. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I have always come back to you. Why in Mm. the world are you like that? And it would just destroy the connection between us. The audible ooh is making space for what he's saying. And it's not just me staring blankly at him. Because Mm. when we stare blankly at each other, the other person fills in all the blanks. Like they go, you know what I'm saying? The like wheel is turning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But if I audibly go, oh, babe, wow. Yeah, I hear that. And those are all versions of the ooh. Those and that's are, important that we mm-hmm. specify that there are several dozen versions of the yeah. ooh. It's not just a literal ooh. We just call it. We label it that way. Right. Ooh is basically good. It's a label of an audible listener because then he knows I heard him. I've acknowledged his pain I don't have to fix it. I'm not going to not go out of town. I'm not going to tell him how dumb it is or how I can prove to him I've always come back. I'm not going to make a court case out of it. I'm just going to hear him. Phyllis, what was the business you were growing? Because I love how that you're this empowered female leader. What was the business? When I told him to go back to school, I built a residential commercial cleaning company in the city that we live in. And we live in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, big city, uh, very popular, and we we just grew by leaps and bounds. We had an Airbnb line that we cleaned for hundreds of Airbnb properties, and 
hundreds of commercial and residential wow. properties. So it grew. Good for you. Yeah, just sold yeah. it in 2020 so I could come on board with him full time with the connection codes. Again, it takes a strong man to accept a strong female leader wife and be there in partnership and be able to communicate and respect and honor and adore and admire each other, right? And then add on the passion and the sex and you have an incredible partnership, right? I mean, what could be better than that? Sadly, our time is up. In fact, we've gone over time, which I knew we were going to. I am so thrilled to have welcomed you both into the body agency family, to have you serving on our body board. I think sex and religion, everyone is going to relate to hearing this podcast, whether it's for a religious reason or just for a personal struggle reason. There's going to be so many people who will relate to our discussion today. And good news that you can find out more information about the book, The Connection Codes, but also the masterclass that Phyllis and Glenn have put together. And you can also book a session. Yes. And Kate, we actually have a special discount code just for your audience. So if they go to our website, and actually we also want them to have the core motion wheel. So if they go to connectioncodes.co forward slash body agency, they will get a special, just for them, the uh, core motion wheel and other information on how to use it. Mm. And then if they want to purchase any of the master classes and they put in body agency, they'll get 20% off. Amazing. Phyllis and Glenn, thank you for being here and sharing your story. You are both just so adorable and I'm grateful for you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Kate. We'd love to be back on anytime. Yes. Oh, don't worry. That's going to (laughs) happen. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body, and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code podcast10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.